Amen. Fantastic. So Galatians chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. And we're going to be taking up uh, communion together as well at the end of our time. Uh, just to say, I, I, I think, um, as Adam said, usually we do communion on the first Sunday of the month. Uh, we weren't going to do it next Sunday because it's that little bit of a guest focus. So we weren't going to do communion. We were going to do it on Sunday evening next week. But just as we were, um, uh, well, just as I was praying and preparing, I thought this would be a great way to just respond to what we've been learning in the book of Galatians together. And uh, a great way to respond to what we're going to hear together today. I hope you have been as challenged as I have through our series on Galatians. This is a strong book. Uh, Paul doesn't mince his words. He wants to get across a point. He wanted to get across a point to the Galatians. And I believe that he wanted to get a point across to us as well. And so we've heard a lot and we've read a lot. And you've chatted in life groups a lot together about this book. And today, I don't intend to say much new. I'm just going to allow these last few verses in the book of Galatians to act as something of a sum up to what we've learned already together. And put the onus back on all of us to respond in the right way as we give a good chunk of time to come back to the Lord's table. And to remember what Jesus has done for us. So let's get into it. Ephesians chapter... No, not Ephesians. I'm looking at it there. Sorry, because it's the next one. Galatians uh, chapter 6. And I'm going to read from verse uh, 11. And I'm going to read right through to the end of the book. Verse 11. Uh, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Let's stop there straight away. So uh, imagine for a second that you were receiving a letter and you were receiving a letter, as I assume most people do, that was typed. Okay, and you were receiving a typed letter and you turn over the page and suddenly the type has gone all caps lock. All right. And the font has increased. You, You might assume this person's caps lock key has broken or you might assume they're really trying to get a point across to you. You know, that's how you yell in type. When you can't yell at a person because you're too far away and you're sending a letter, you type in caps lock. You're trying to make your point. You're trying to emphasize it in whatever way you can. So when Paul says, look at what large letters I use, he's saying, look, I am trying to make this point even more emphatically to you. All the stuff I've spoken about, all the stuff I'm going to talk about now is so important. And then Paul goes on to say, in my own hand. So imagine again, you're reading this letter, you've turned the page, it's gone all caps. And then you turn again and it's gone into handwriting, personal handwriting. Now you might assume this person's having a bad day. The caps lock key is broken and the printer is broken. But actually you might assume that's a bit more personal. Okay, so now they've taken the time to actually write this down. I think when you get a handwritten letter, it comes with a bit more emphasis. And what we see here, Paul saying, what large letters I write with my own hand. What he's saying is, Paul actually wouldn't have written this letter with his own hand. He would have had a scribe that he would have dictated to, who would have written. Paul, even a very educated man like Paul, still would have used a scribe because they would have written better and they would have wrote it better. So that's what he used. But at this point, he wanted to take the pen and say, I'm writing this with my own hand. He was trying to emphasize as strongly as he can, this is really 
important. It's unprecedented, really, in the rest of his letters. He's taken it. He would have usually taken the pen just to sign his name or a little thing at the end. But he's finishing off the letter, big letters, with his own pen. This is really important. And I hope that we've realised, as we've gone through the book of Galatians, that this is really important for us. It's vital for us to hear what's been said by Paul and through God, through the people who have preached here, that this is God's word, not just for the Galatians then, but for us now. If we are going to walk into the promises of God, that is everlasting life when we die, that is life abundant and full while we live here on this earth. If we are going to walk into that promise that God has for us, it is so important that we take seriously what Paul has written here. We cannot dismiss it. We cannot approach it apathetically. When it comes to grace versus law, this is vital. We must get it right to walk into the promises that God has for us. Just emphasising once again how important this is. Let's continue to read in verse 12. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. So what Paul is saying here in this little passage, he's going back to these teachers who have come alongside the Galatians and saying, look, you've got Jesus, that's fine, but you need a little bit of religion as well. You need something else if you're really going to be accepted, really going to be loved. You can't just trust in Jesus. You need, for them, circumcision. That'll make you full. That'll make you whole. And we've seen how Paul has absolutely rallied against these people throughout the whole book, saying that he'd rather they just go the whole way and emasculate themselves. I mean, this is a shocking book. It's a book of strength from Paul, because this is such a key issue for them in this age. Because they are boasting in the flesh. They are making boasts about themselves. They are saying, well, I've got Jesus, but also I've done something that's made me holy. I've done something that's made me acceptable. Paul's looking at them and saying, you can't live like that. You can't take a little bit of legalism back. You've got to keep to grace. It's grace that saved you and nothing that you have done. And he says here, he gives another uh, reason for their boasting, another reason for them being circumcised and saying that others should be circumcised. He says it's because they don't want to be persecuted. And what he's saying here is that these kind of Jews who've converted to Christianity, you know, actually by keeping to circumcision and saying, oh, actually, people should still be circumcised, they're actually pushing a little bit of persecution off themselves. Because there would have been Jews who would have heard about these Christians and the things that they were doing. But these people were able to stand back and say, oh yeah, we're Christians, we believe in Jesus, but don't worry, we still do circumcision, and we still fit in with the normal kind of norms of society, don't worry, we're not that different, we're not not that distinct. And Paul's saying, you can't do that. Grace is distinct, and a people defined by grace should be distinct, they should look different. There's a real danger for Christianity in our day and age, that we become like this. That to avoid persecution, we start to add things to the revealed truth of Jesus. 
We start to say, oh, in our day and age, our generation, we've started to understand this in a new way. And usually when somebody says that, it means we've started to understand it in a way that's more palatable to the world around us. That changes the gospel a bit, that distorts the truth of God a little bit. But it means that the persecution that might typically come upon us is a little bit less. We can't do that. We must be those who accept the whole gospel truth. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And if we want to lay our life down for him, then we have to accept the truth that is revealed to us through his gospel of grace and through the word that has been given to us through his Holy Spirit. We can't become less distinct, less different to try and fit in with society. Because if you try to do that, it'll change generation upon generation upon generation. We must stay the same as our God stays the same yesterday, today and forever. Boasting in the flesh, as these people were doing, is trying to say, well, we can do something by our own selves. We can come up with some value and some ethic. We can come up with some kind of legal uh, religion that will get us to God, that will make us acceptable in the eyes of the world around us, in the eyes of the God, if there is one. But, you know, absolutely none of us can boast in ourselves. We can't boast in ourselves before other people, even. Even though we live in a society which has created a hierarchy and we like to try and put ourselves on it and say, I'm up here, you're down here, I'm doing well, I'm fine. I've amassed the right amount of money, the right amount of power, the right amount of relationships. So that when people look at me, they can put me up here and I can get by and I can have a certain reputation. You see, Paul's trying to say, don't boast in that because ultimately that's nothing. Ultimately, that trusting in the flesh and trusting in the stuff that you can attain is going to get you nowhere. And it's just going to become a circle in which you just find no meaning and find no purpose and just get more and more frustrated because the things of this world can't offer you abundant life and they can't offer you eternal life. Only Jesus can do that. And so when we boast in the things that we have, we're being foolish. Because it doesn't matter what you have, you're going to end up in the same place in this world as everybody else. Your life is going to be defined in the same way as everybody else's, as a dash on a tombstone between two dates. That's where we're all heading. And so if we want to boast in something, let's boast in something that isn't temporary. Let's boast in something that's eternal. Let's not trust what we can do. Let's trust what God can do. Let's lean on him instead. And this is where Paul is going as he finishes off this letter. Let me read from verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So Paul says, I don't want to boast in anything that I can do. I want to boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that is something that goes beyond the puny things that I can build up in this life, the rules and regulations that I might believe would get me to God. It's stronger than that. It's more certain than that. It will bring me abundant life here and life eternal when I die. If we're going to boast in 
anything, it must be in the cross of Christ. You see, if you choose to boast in what you've built up, then you're forgetting to realise that anything you've built up is a gift from God's hand anyway. Uh, You might say, actually, I don't believe in God, so how can anything be a gift from God? I haven't involved God in any of my life, so how can it be a gift of God? The very fact that your lungs inflate and deflate is a gift of his common grace. Your next step is a gift from his gracious hand. He is a giving father even to those who give nothing back. And so if we stand here and boast and say, well, I haven't involved God at all, well, actually, you're wrong. He's sustained you, he's kept you by his common grace. And so we can't boast in these things because they'll get us nowhere. Moth and rust will destroy all the things that we build up on this earth. What we must boast in is something better, something greater. When good things happen in our life, when we manage to get through the difficult things in our life, our boast must be, well, God gave me this. This was a gift from his gracious hand. This is something that he has sustained me through. This is something that he has brought me through. It's funny, just as I was preparing for this sermon, I was preparing for it, I was writing it down, and I was just in the office with Ian on Friday. Ian works in our office, which makes for a fun environment. And uh, Ian came in and said, I'm having a really productive day. And I said, I'm having a really productive day as well. And Ian went, well done, Tom. And I went, well done, Ian. And I think for a second we thought very nicely of ourselves. And then Ian went, and thank you, God, as well. Much more holy than me, Ian. You know, everything that we have is a gift from him. And everything that we set our hands to in his name, we must recognize that the Holy Spirit is equipping us to do anyway. It's all a gift from him. So in everything we do, when we boast, we don't boast on what we've done. We boast on what Jesus has done. The life and work of Jesus upon the cross and through his resurrection that brings us to this place. That's what we boast about. And if you're looking for somebody to boast in, there's no one better. Everything in the world in which we live has been defined and touched by Jesus in ways that we'll never understand. When you looked at the date on your calendar this morning, it was defined by a child born to an unwed mother in Bethlehem, Jesus Christ. When you go to hospital or the schooling that you went through or the things that trip off the top of your tongue, like, oh, you should treat other people as you would like to be treated. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus has defined the very world in which we live. He's defined the level of love that we give to one another. Jesus is someone to boast about. Jesus is someone to point to. Jesus is someone to trust in. And he's someone to do all those things for because of his cross. Because of his cross. Because of what he's done for us. Because he came and humbled himself to be found in form of man. And because he became obedient in that form, obedient even to death and death on a cross. And so just as we continue to sum up in Galatians what we've spoken about, let's just think again about what this cross of Jesus Christ has done for us. In three words that we've spoken about a lot, it's justified us. It's justified us. That means that however you come in here this morning, whether you come in here as someone who has never thought about God at all, you don't think you've lived a particularly bad life, you don't think you've lived a particularly good life, but you haven't involved God in that life. You're apathetic towards him. You're agnostic towards him or you're atheist towards him. However you've come, you come before a God who loves you and wants to accept you into his family. 
If you've come here this morning and you feel like you don't know what's in my heart, you don't know what's in my mind, if there was truly a loving God, there is no way that he could accept me. There is no way that he could love me. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the things that have been done to me that have made me dirty and filthy and unacceptable before God. Let me tell you, that's a lie. God loves you. He adores you. He wants you to be part of his family, however you've come this morning. Or if you've come in as Little Miss Christian or Mr. Christian, you know, we read those books to Elise, Little Miss books and Mr. books. Maybe you've come in as the perfect Little Miss Christian or Mr. Christian. You know, from, from whenever you started getting pocket money, you've been tithing 10% of it. You know, you've been coming to church every single Sunday for your whole life. When you wake up in the morning, you find a granny to help across the road. I mean, you find a cat to get out of a tree. I mean, that's you, your little miss, your Mr. Christian. If you've come in this place this morning, the cross levels you with everybody else before God. Because what God says is that even our righteous works before him are like filthy rags. So if you feel like, I've done quite a lot. But before God, you're the same as the person who says, I've never even thought about him. And the same as the person who says, I've thought about him and I've rebelled, I've run away. I've done things that he would not like. We're all the same before the cross. It's level ground because of grace. Because of grace. Because it doesn't matter what we've done. We can come before him and ask for his forgiveness. Say sorry for the things that we've done and choose to live and choose to follow him instead. And his promise is to anyone who does that, in any position that they find themselves, there's grace and there's mercy in that time of need for you this morning. There's purpose and there's meaning in your time of need. There's abundant life in your time of need and there's eternal life for you forever and ever through the cross that justifies you, makes you holy, makes you righteous. And more than that, more than just being justified, we're adopted. What we've learned in this book, that the Spirit of God comes in, that we might call out Abba, Father, that we become sons and daughters of God. So it's not just a legal contract that's been dealt with. All right, I'll forgive you of your sin. I'll wipe the books of that. No, no, no. It's an intimate relational thing that's happened. God has become our Father. He doesn't stand at a distance and say, you can come see me when you die. He gets involved in every aspect of our life and says, I want to be with you. I want to be with you through the good times, but there's no promise it'll always be good. You'll suffer, but I want to be with you there as well. I want to walk with you in everything that you do, that you might know, whatever your experience of an earthly father, that you might know you have a heavenly father who loves you, who loves you, who loves you so much, as we've already heard today, he gave his only son for you in Jesus Christ on the cross. You are adopted. There's ever a little lie in your ear that says, I, I, maybe I could see that he would justify me, but that he wants to be my father? And he wants to speak with me daily? That he wants me to have a relationship with him? I, I don't know if I can believe that. That's, that's a lie of the enemy. Before the cross is level ground. You can come and have a relationship with God however you find yourself. Abundant life and life forever we're justified we're adopted and this starts a process of sanctification the bible says that we don't just go from this point and say all right well if i'm forgiven and if i can be anywhere on that spectrum the world seems to say that it's funner to be down this side of the spectrum i can do all this kind of stuff i can walk away from god i don't have to honor the father and i'm forgiven by grace it's not how it works because if you accept Jesus, what happens is that Jesus comes and lives in you by his spirit. 
And he starts a rejuvenating work where he's changing you to be more like him. We've heard over the last couple of weeks about the work of the Spirit in our life that grows the fruit of the Spirit, the good things of God. And that it's our responsibility and that it's our role to sow into those things. If you didn't hear Pete last week, just encourage you to get that offline. Really helpful, really practical, really clear. How we live this life here and now as followers of Jesus. We say, I want to sow into the good things in my life. I want to do things that honour God, that don't go after the temporary satisfactions that I can find. Because all that's going to happen is you're not going to get satisfied. But if you go after the things of God, the promises that he has for you, that's where satisfaction lies. And that's where mission lies. God wants to use you. He wants to use you to take his name to the ends of the earth. He wants to work with you, that your friends and your family might see him and might come to know him as well. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, there is justification for anyone wherever they find themselves. There is adoption for all of us, a perfect, loving, heavenly Father who wants to be involved in our life. And there is a sanctification process where we, with the help of the Spirit, can work with God to become more like Jesus. And if there's anyone you want to boast in, if there's anyone you want to be more like, it's Jesus. The impact he made, the things he did, the way he loved, it's all got to be has to be about Jesus. And so, we come to this table. This is a really good point to come to. We come here to boast. Not in ourselves. We don't walk up to this table this morning because we say, yeah, I'm good enough. I'm good enough for the blood and body of Jesus. I'm good enough for the sacrifice he paid. You don't walk up to this table because you've, you've prayed enough in the last week. Because you feel like you've sung well enough in worship this morning. You come to this table because you recognise you're not good enough. And that you need Jesus to heal and forgive you. As we've been going through this series in Galatians, one story that's continued to stick in my mind is the story of the sons. The two sons that Jesus tells. I haven't shared it while I've preached, but just as we conclude, I'd like to. Many of you will know the story of the sons. You might know it as the story of the prodigal son, but it's really important that you recognize there are two sons in the story. Now, the first son decides to take his inheritance from the father and run away and live however he wants to. And then he comes to a point where he recognizes that that never's going to satisfy him. It's never going to make him happy. He needs to come back to his father. He comes back groveling. He comes back with a rehearsed, kind of a script in his head. I'll be your slave. I'll be your servant. I don't want relationship with you. I just want a roof. I just want some food. And he comes back to the father. And the father, when he sees the speck on the distant, runs, throws his arms around him, loves him, hugs him, cares for him, prepares the greatest party he's ever thrown to welcome his, his son back home, even after everything the son had done. And then there's the other son in the story. The son who's out in the fields and he heard about the party, he didn't want to go inside. The father goes out to him and says, come on, everyone's celebrating, your brother's returned, come on back in. And he says, I've done loads for you. I've worked in the fields all this time. I've done everything that you've asked of me and you've never even given me a a thin animal for me and my friends. And you've killed a fattened calf for him. 
I wonder whether we can put ourselves with either of those sons as we come to the end of Galatians. Maybe you're in a position where you're running away from God, you've never recognized him. And you're thinking, man, this abundant life sounds good. This life eternal is something that I want. But I wonder if I start this walk, will he throw his arms around me or will he reject me? If that's you, I want to tell you there is no doubt that God will accept you, throw his arms around you, cover you in his grace and his mercy. Because it's not about how well you can love him, how good you can be. It's about how good he is and how much he loves you. Or maybe you're like the son who's gone away and that you've given your life to Christ and you've received something of your inheritance, but you recognize that you're not living like it. You actually don't have a relationship with the father. You've gone away to do your own thing. You're not recognizing his authority in everything that you do. And for you, you've got to say, well, I've got to start that walk as well. I've got to come back to God. I've got, I've got to come back to my Father. I've got to recognize that this wasn't a license. This wasn't an ability for me to do whatever I want. I've got to repent of what I've done and come back and choose to honor him. Will his arms be thrown around me? Will there be a party for me? Yes. God welcomes back all of his sons, all of his daughters, who would choose to say, I recognize that I've walked away and I want to come back. Or maybe we're like the older son. Maybe we're like the older brother. We think that we've gained acceptance with the father by just getting on with our work in the field. I'm doing everything that I'm told. I'm following the religion. I'm following the value. I'm following the ethic. And that's how I'll get relationship with the father. But when a party's being thrown and we get an opportunity to be with him, we're more concerned about the ifs and whens and whys and buts. When actually... What we should be striving for above everything else is a relationship with our Father. But we've lost that in the religion, in the law, in the legalism. And we need to get back to the party that God is throwing for us and everybody else who are his sons and daughters. You might be somewhere on that spectrum. Wherever you are, the Father's waiting, watching, wanting to throw his arms around you.